afternoon, and welcome to today's employer advisory session, Expiring Unemployment Benefits, Will Employees Come Knocking? My name is Laurel Dimmick, and I'm a Senior Director in HR and Compliance Services. Today, I'm joined by my colleague, Jamie Webb Akasaka, VP Legal Counsel for HR Consulting. We are both located in One Digital's West Region. This series of advisory sessions has been in response to a rapidly changing economic and health environment where business and HR leaders have been forced to take unprecedented actions to protect employees and their organization. The luxury of deliberation on key issues vanished overnight, but the impact of those decisions will be key to survival. Some important news that employers are currently facing is that the federal supplemental unemployment insurance benefit is ending at the end of the month. Specifically, individuals who receive at least $1 in state unemployment benefits also receive $600 per week to supplement state unemployment benefits. Although many individuals will soon face another wave of uncertainty, the end of this weekly federal benefit is certain to impact employers too. In this conversation, we want to talk about how will this impact you? What will it look like? What, if anything, will you be able to do to entice employees to come back? We'll be focusing on the big picture issues in our discussion. Please keep in mind that questions specific to state laws are best directed to your one digital consultants as regulations vary by state and are changing rapidly. Let's get started. The added federal supplement to unemployment benefits has been a lifeline for many employees. But how has the supplemental benefit impacted employers, Jamie? Thanks, Laurel. Um, an interesting side effect of the supplemental benefit has been that employees don't want to come back to work uh, because they're actually earning more on unemployment than they would through their regular wages. And this has caused some employers to struggle to get their employees back to work from furlough or layoff as the country has been returning to work. It's also important to note that some workers are not ready or willing to return, particularly in light of the significant increases of COVID cases nationally. Uh, another trend is, that is starting to occur is that because of the economic impact of unemployment, we are seeing extensions of state unemployment insurance benefits for longer than what would normally be offered. Even though unemployment is rising, it's not necessarily easy for employers to obtain or retain talent. And Laurel, this actually makes employers wonder, what uh, can employees get unemployment even when refusing to come back to work? That's a great question. Generally, unemployment is available to workers who have unemployed through no fault of their own. So choosing not to work is usually not a valid reason to receive benefits through unemployment. States are going to be looking at whether there is good cause for being unemployed. Basically, the determination as to what constitutes good cause for the job refusal will be viewed in light of the COVID-19 pandemic and will be subject to agency review. The U.S. Department of Labor and many states have emphasized that an unreasonable fear over the risk of contracting the virus in the workplace is not enough to constitute good cause, and state agencies will likely deny unemployment claims if this is the only reason that's offered. Several states, however, including Washington, Colorado, Alaska, and Texas, have already adopted rules outlining when an employee's refusal to return to work may rise to the level of good cause. These rules generally protect unemployment benefits for high-risk 
or vulnerable employees, such as workers over 65 or those with underlying medical conditions, which makes sense. That brings up another question. Will the end of this federal benefit have employees knocking on employers' doors? Jamie, how will the expiration of the federal benefits impact businesses? Well, once the federal benefit expires, people may still be collecting state unemployment benefits, but only at a fraction of their original pay. One possibility is that if people are on COBRA from being laid off or on furlough, they may want to return to their jobs when available, even if they earn less than what supplemented unemployment provides so that they can receive some contribution toward the cost of their health benefits. Similarly, if COBRA is unavailable to these workers, they may be interested in returning to the workforce so that they may qualify for employer-sponsored benefits. As COVID-19 cases increase, people will likely feel less at ease if they have no or limited health insurance coverage should they contract the virus. And the longer this drags on, the more people will want stability. Obviously, unemployment insurance programs don't last forever. Uh, more generally, though, the expiration of the federal benefit will force employees to look to return to work so that they can continue to pay for essential needs. Also, unemployment is high in many places, and with corporations still issuing layoffs, I think recently United Airlines uh, said that they were forecasting laying off 36,000 employees, and some businesses are filing for bankruptcy. Brooks Brothers just recently filed. Uh, so as a result, there are less job opportunities than previously. And this turbulence in the market is going to force people to reevaluate how they feel about going back to work. Uh, for those who choose not to or who otherwise can't return to work, this feeds into the unfortunate pattern that people who don't have the jobs can't spend money on businesses to support the people who work there. So this is a difficult situation all around. Um, in light of the situation, though, employers are wondering how they can get employees to come back to work. Laurel, how should employers be navigating conversations with furloughed workers? Jamie, communication about the status of work while they are on leave and furlough is going to be key. We need to keep employees waiting in the wings. We need to keep the relationship warm. And this will assist in making it easier for an employee to feel wanted and likely encourage them to return. Employers should let the employees know about anticipated rehiring and opening phases and what the phases look like. This may vary by employer and industry. For instance, a restaurant in the Mid-Atlantic region may be rehiring sooner than one on the West Coast. Employers should make plans to weather the ups and downs of the virus. We are in a fluid situation with COVID. Things seem to get better, and now cases are increasing again. The workplace needs to adapt with each change. Even recovery is not linear. It has its ups and downs. Rather than being reactive, which is how we all felt in the beginning, we are now in a position to be proactive. As we venture to be proactive, employers should keep in mind that their efforts to ensure the safety of their employees will also need to be at the top of the conversation when asking people to return to a physical workplace. Laurel, how does this conversation vary for workers who have been laid off? Well, employers who are keeping in touch with their laid off employees will likely have an idea of whether the employees are looking forward to coming back, hesitant to coming back, or deciding to choose another line of work. 
Some employees who were laid off may be forced to stay home due to schools not reopening or daycare continuing to be closed to non-essential workers. Employers will need to look at their rehire policies or current practices they have in place for rehiring to be able to communicate what the rehire will look like. Employers should also prepare an offer letter once they know they're reopening and send them out to employees who were laid off. If an employee accepts the offer, then the employee will need to know what the process is to return to work. Will they receive seniority credit for their prior service with the company? What forms need to be completed? Possibly they need to do another background or drug screening and precautions the workplace is taking. You know, Laurel, you mentioned that safety is an important part of the conversation. What ways can employers emphasize safety and what they are doing to keep workers safe upon returning? That's a good question. Regardless of what your state's rules are, OSHA requires you to provide a safe working environment for workers. You need to be assessing your work environment to determine what strategies will work best to keep employees safe. Again, communication is going to be key. Employees want to know how safe it is to come back to work and what their employer is doing to create that safe work environment for them to be in. Do they have to wear a mask at all times? What type of masks are being required or supplied? Are there alternatives such as wearing a mask when walking about the facility, but in their own office, is it not required? Can a face shield be worn instead of a mask while sitting at their desk, but when moving around, is a mask required? Are gloves being provided? Will hand sanitizer be provided for each person throughout the office? Will there be social distancing in the elevators? How are common areas being addressed, such as break rooms and restrooms? How often is the office being cleaned? These are all aspects the employers need to look into and address with their employees. Jamie, we are hearing a new term as part of the safety discussion, exposure control plan. Can you tell us about what that is? Sure, an exposure control plan uh, involves the steps that the employer will take in the event an employee becomes exposed to or infected with COVID-19. So for example, if someone says they're having symptoms consistent with COVID, the employer should send them home immediately. They should engage in contact tracing to determine who has been in close sustained contact with that person within the last 48 hours prior to the employee being sent home. Those people should be notified of their possible exposure and also sent home. And the notification should also be confidential as to who uh, may have been the person that infected them or exposed them. Uh, employers should follow the CDC guidelines for when to allow people to return to work, whether it's having sufficient time following recovery to ensure no further spread or getting neg negative test results from two COVID virus tests. This would also apply to the employees who were just exposed to the virus in the workplace. There need to be protocols for cleaning procedures of the workplace following someone uh, having infection. Uh, this may be bringing in a deep cleaning crew or coordinating with the building maintenance team on having a deep cleaning done. And finally, to the extent that any illness rises to the level of a recordable event under OSHA rules, employers need to be managing their record-keeping process. And this is also true if you are in a state where workers' comp is implicated for employees who are deemed infected while at work. So, you know, Laurel, the prospect of getting infected at work can be scary for some. What should employers do if employees refuse to come to work? 
If an employee expresses concern about returning to work, keep the lines of communication open and try to determine and address any concerns if possible. Preliminarily, the employer should determine why the employee is refusing to return. Some reasons are or may be legally protected, others are not. Employers declining to return to work merely because they prefer to remain on unemployment are not protected, and an employer can require those individuals to return to work or risk losing their job and potentially forfeit their right to unemployment benefits. Employees who express a fear of contracting coronavirus should be handled more delicately. If someone has a serious health condition, they may be entitled to ADA protections. Employers should engage in the interactive process to determine whether a reasonable accommodation can be made before requiring the employee to return to work. Recently, the EEOC stated that employers are not required to accommodate an employee without a disability based on the disability-related needs of a family member or other person with whom that person is associated. For example, an employee without a disability is not entitled under the ADA to telework as an accommodation in order to protect a family member with a disability from potential COVID-19 exposure. Assuming that the person has not been on or need a protected leave, if an employer has ordered employees to back to a physical officer location and an employee refuses who has no ADA or other leave protection and a discussion about the safety measures the employer is taking isn't alleviating their concerns and the employee still refuses to come to work, the employer may consider disciplining them according to company policy, such as an attendance policy. Well, what about if someone qualifies as higher risk for contracting COVID, are there other considerations for those individuals? Yes. The EEOC has also acknowledged that there are people who are at higher risk for severe illness from COVID. This includes people 65 years and older, people with chronic lung disease or moderate or severe asthma, people who have serious heart conditions, and people who are immunocompromised, immunocompromised or have other specific serious illnesses. That's a tongue twister. An employer can keep high-risk individuals out of the workplace based on their disability if the employee's disability poses a direct threat to the person's health that cannot be eliminated or reduced by a reasonable accommodation. A direct threat assessment cannot be based solely on the fact that the condition is on the CDC's list. The determination must be an individualized assessment based on the reasonable medical judgment about this employee's disability, not the disability in general. This is when the employer must engage in the interactive process. Even where there is a direct threat, there must be no way to provide a reasonable accommodation absent undue hardship to the employer. Accommodations may include remote work, granting a leave of absence, additional safety equipment, adding barriers, modification of job duties, temporary modification of work schedules, or moving the location of where one performs work, such as moving a person to the end of a production line rather than in the middle of it that provides more social distancing. Although this seems to be an exception to the general protections under the ADA, it is a very high standard that should be reviewed by legal counsel before employers rely on it to exclude an individual or otherwise diminish an individual's terms and conditions of employment. This is somewhat of an outlier issue. 
employers are more focused on keeping employees at work. Jamie, are you seeing any incentives employers can consider offering to boost morale and engagement as the fate of the federal benefits program is decided? Well, employees are looking closely at culture. Is there a culture of safety in the workplace? This is where those strategies you mentioned before can be helpful. Uh, employers can also entice employees to return by offering attractive benefits packages and employment perks, such as remote, remote work and flexible schedules. Um, flexible work schedules can include working early in the morning or late at night to accommodate maybe childcare needs or something like that, or just even being on uh, duty during core day hours, like a 10 to 3 schedule, and then allowing uh, the rest of the workday to be more flexible uh, works around those times. Employers should also be looking at how robust their leave policies are. If your employees don't qualify for traditional FMLA, do you have a company policy allowing for some personal time off for medical or other needs? If an employee gets COVID, are they going to be able to take time off to get better so they can return to work? Have you considered implementing a leave share program? Leave sharing programs can be a great tool for employers to allow workers to put their vacation time into a shared bank to be distributed to someone who has a significant need, like if someone got sick with COVID and took a long time to recover. Um, just keep in mind that there are specific tax rules on how leave sharing programs have to be set up, so you will want to talk with your HR consultant or legal counsel on that. Um, employers should also be thinking about retirement plan offerings and other benefit options for future financial stability. You should also be looking at your overall benefits packages. Do you offer additional disability plans that employees can pay for, flexible spending accounts, and employer assistance uh, plans or EAPs? These may come at little or no cost for employers but can make a significant impact for employees. Also, the big focus right now is wellness, uh, which goes hand in hand with safety. Employers should be looking at wellness benefits and plans. Some new trends are internal programs or challenges encouraging well-being activities like outdoor hiking or hosting video conference exercise gatherings for things like yoga during the lunch hour, or even just regular wellness reminders for things like breathing techniques, drinking water throughout the day, and stretching. This is particularly helpful for remote workers who may be sitting in front of their computer all day and no longer have the social interaction and breaks they would normally have if they were in the office. Some other things to think about are training opportunities. Are you offering online training? Uh, what about enhanced skills training? If people feel like they have a place to move up in the company, they will be inspired to stick around. And more generally, though, employers should be making sure employees have the right technology to do their job efficiently, whether that's remote equipment or apps or organization and communication tools to facilitate group collaboration and execution. Employees will feel like they have a stronger opportunity for success if they have the tools they need. Some of these strategies may sound like pie-in-the-sky ideas to some, but Whatever your situation, you should be looking at ways that you can make the workplace more appealing. If you're able to retain talent, that ends up being less time spent on potential lost institutional knowledge and having to train others to take up abandoned duties. 
Laurel, with the acknowledgement that these are definitely challenging times, what resources can employers look into to facilitate bringing workers back? That's a great question. Not everyone has heard about workshare programs, but they do exist. Many states have a workshare program with slightly different rules, but a similar concept. Workshare programs encourage employers to use reductions in hours and pay as an alternative to layoffs. Typically, employers must maintain benefits and reduce hours within a specific range, often that's between 10 and 60%. An employer can reduce hours across its entire workforce or just a portion of its workforce. A plan must be submitted to the state unemployment authority to approve prior to the implementation of the employer. For example, the California WorkShare Program, which is managed through the Employment Development Department, or EDD, assists when there is a reduction in schedule. Most employees would rather not have part-time work, and the WorkShare Program helps to bridge the gap up to 100% of the wages. There are 26 states and the District of Columbia that have operational WorkShare Programs. The WorkShare Programs offer employers an important way to deal with reductions in schedule, pay, or both, and whether the entire company or department is affected. So that's something for them. Jamie, in terms of resources, isn't there also an important PPP loan update? Yes, so for businesses who took advantage of PPP loans, there is a recent update. If you haven't yet seen it, employers now have an extra five weeks to apply for a loan, which will end on August 8th. Um, also, uh, House Bill 7010 recently extended certain provisions of the Paycheck Protection Program Flexibility Act. Um, so let's go over some of those key points. Borrowers can spend up to 40%, uh, up from 25% previously, on qualified non-payroll costs, such as rent and utility costs. The time for borrowers to spend loan funds and meet forgiveness requirements has also been extended from June 30th to December 31st at the end of this year. Loans must now have a minimum maturity of five years rather than the uh, previous minimum of two years. Payments on loans can be deferred until loan forgiveness is given to the lender by the SBA or 10 months after the end of the covered period if the borrower did not yet request loan forgiveness. So that's another great extension of time that employers should be looking at. Uh, the time for employers to restore full-time equivalent or FTE employees to their status and wages in order to qualify for loan forgiveness is also extended from June 30th to December 31st. Employers who are unable to return to the same level of business activity under certain circumstances or rehire, laid off, or similarly qualified workers may still qualify for loan forgiveness with sufficient documentation. And borrowers can now defer payroll taxes that were previously prohibited under the CARES Act. So keep that in mind as we continue to move forward. Great, that's good information to know. As employers are thinking about bringing employees back to work, and also as part of the PPP loan forgiveness, what should employers be thinking about in terms of the order of rehiring former employees? So a trend that we are seeing in major metropolitan areas are new laws that require employers to give preference to rehiring laid off employees before they hire new ones. And there are usually timing and other requirements associated with it. 
Um, so employers should be factoring those rules into their rehire plans. If you took a PPP loan, there are also rehire requirements there if you want to be able to take advantage of loan forgiveness, like making a written offer to rehire in good faith and offering the same salary in hours as before the, pay, the layoff. Um, another key point is just to be aware of discrimination claims. Employers should have a strategy on how they want to bring back employees. They may not be ready to bring everyone back or they may need to make a determination of who they want to bring back in different phases. Uh, and one way of doing that, for example, would be to bring people back based on some objective criteria, such as based on seniority. So bringing back first to those who have been there the longest. And when looking at the rehire process, also consider implementing a rehire policy. This type of policy may uniquely address rehire introductory periods, waiting periods for benefits, how seniority or years of service will be accounted for with the break-in service, and reinstatement of previously accrued uh, unpaid paid sick leave and paid time off. So Laurel, we've talked a lot about strategies employers can use to bring employees back to work. I think there's an even deeper layer to all of this. How should employees be communicating, or excuse me, how should employers be communicating with employees? If you have a business that's not able to have remote workers, you should be communicating to your employees all the steps that are being taken to keep employees safe. Maybe you launch a marketing campaign to let your workers know about your safety practices. The more you can alleviate employees' concerns, the more people will be willing to return. Also, don't be afraid to share the business health of the organization. Employers are wondering if the business is going to survive and whether they're going to have a job or whether they're going to have a job in six months. Be transparent, even if the outlook is not entirely positive. Having a challenge to face can unify employees and inspire them to do better if they know that the work they do will have an impact. The key is to communicate often with meaningful information. Thanks, Laurel. We have talked about a lot of takeaways for employers to be thinking about as we continue to move forward. I know we have questions coming in through the Q&A and we've had our team answering these questions as quickly as possible. However, we have noticed some trends in the questions. So let's look to respond to some of these now. Here's the first question. How do I know when an employee's unemployment is going to run out? Laurel, is that something that you can answer? Sure. At this point, we know when the federal unemployment will end, but some states are extending or thinking of extending their programs. Employers aren't necessarily going to know someone's state unemployment has ended unless the employee shares it has ended. See, another question that came in, how will employers be impacted if the federal benefit is extended? Jamie, do you wanna take that? Sure. So if it does get extended, I suspect that we will continue to see workers reluctant to return to work as long as the virus continues to spread. Mm -hmm. uh, this will really emphasize the need for employers to use some of the strategies we discussed to engage with employees and incentivize them to return to work. Mm -hmm. um, another question is, is this a good time to be thinking about recruiting, uh, which is an interesting take on the situation. So, uh, well, with higher unemployment, uh, typically comes a larger pool of applicants with various skill sets seeking new jobs that are perceived as being more stable. 
for businesses that can implement proactive strategies, you may want to consider using this time to snap up talent that will allow you to expand sales or services or product development to help stay afloat during these challenging times. You know, people are always interested to hear how others are handling different situations. Laurel, what trends are you seeing across different industries? Well, in general, we're seeing that employees are hesitant to come back to work. Some have childcare issues or perhaps are concerned about increased virus exposure. Many employers are finding a good pool of applicants for entry-level jobs requiring general skills, but across industries, the higher skill positions are still somewhat challenging to fill. We are also seeing an influx of construction workers getting COVID or being exposed to someone testing positive for COVID. So that's affecting their workforce because they're needing to be quarantined. We're also seeing that essential workers are running across the same thing. We are seeing more staff being affected and exposed, for instance. Schools, we're not hearing much other than they are planning to be completely remote which affects our workforce as they have to stay home to be the caregivers. Manufacturing is reporting a decline in productivity due to reduced employees on the floor to compensate for social distancing. Retail seems to be getting some foot traffic and they feel the beginnings of recovery. We are also seeing individuals that don't wanna go back to work in restaurants and are, some are actually changing their work industry because they feel the restaurant industry is not stable work environment at this time. And others don't feel like they can count on whether restaurants are going to be open or not open. So again, about the stability. That being said, every industry has its challenges. Most employers are finding that it is best to go with the ebb and flow and be as proactive as they can when addressing employees' concerns. Thanks, Laurel, for that insight. And thank you all for joining us today. These are indeed challenging times. As you need it, Blend Digital's strategic workforce consultants are here with expert guidance and support to help you navigate through these changing laws and regulations as the situation evolves. So don't hesitate to reach out and learn more. And once again, I'd like to remind everyone on today that each employer advisory session is also available as a podcast. And you can view this session and past sessions on our website. Stay safe, healthy, and stay connected with your family, friends, and coworkers. We'll see you next time. Thank you. Thank you.